Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we open up our heart to receive your word. And thank you, Lord, that your word is transforming. It renews our mind. And so we just open up our hearts to receive now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we're in our disciple series. Um, uh, what it means to be a disciple. Um, two weeks ago, we looked at what it cost, or at least some of the cost. Last week, our own Tom Harden uh, talked about what fuels the disciple, which is faith, and, and, and gave us some uh, powerful testimonies and stories about how God has brought him through some situations, and, and, and he's got a whole lot more. We're going to have to have part two here before too long. Um, but here's our working definition of a disciple. It's a disciple of Jesus is someone who is committed to follow Jesus exclusively wherever he leads and to learn from him, someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. This morning we're going to continue, and I want to talk about something I call the disciple's chair. The disciple's chair. Now, before I tell you what it is, I'm going to save that for the end of the service, what the disciples' chairs. I want to talk to you mostly this morning, how do you get in that chair? How do you get in the chair? How do you get seated in this chair, situated position? But before I talk about the chair, I want to, um, uh, I want to give you um, some, some input on, on grace. Grace. Grace is an attribute of God. It's not that he has grace. Now, he is grace. He is grace. Um, in fact, all the attributes of God, love, wisdom, justice, power, righteousness, grace, it's who he is. Uh, like Pastor Joseph Prince, his quote, um, famous quote is, grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Grace is a person, and so we're going to talk about him today. Um, let me give you some other definitions, working definitions, as we go forward. Justice is giving us what we deserve, which, by the way, is hell. When you hear these commercials say, you deserve a vacation in the Bahamas, no, you don't. <laughs> you deserve, when it boils down, we deserve hell. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. That would be not sending us to hell. And thank God for his mercy. But we've got it even better. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve, which is heaven, eternal life with Jesus. A few years ago, actually it was more than that, it was 2012. Um, I still think the year 2000 was not too long ago. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. But I remember I was flying to California um, to uh to visit my daughter and son-in-law who when they were he was stationed out there and you know because I'm married to Margie I got the cheapest tickets I could I could find and so I'm in the back of the plane with all the slobs back there you know <laughs> you know all the poor <laughs> slobbering masses are in the back and and I'm there amongst them and and, and so I'm on a end of end of the aisle and like one aisle you know beside me uh, up one row was a, a military man, I believe it was Army. But before we took off, you know, the flight attendant comes up to him and she says, Sir, I'd like for you to come and sit in first class. 
You know, I passed first class on the way to the back of the plane, and I think, boy, that sure is nice. I wonder what it's like there, you know. <laughs> well, this young man, he, he was surprised. He got up, and he went and sat in first class. I couldn't see all the way up there, but he went up to the front of the plane. A few minutes later, an older man came and sat in the seat where the military guy was. I didn't think anything of it until we were getting off the plane. And then I realized this older man gave up his seat in first class so that this young military guy could have his seat. I thought, that's, that's kind of what grace looks like. You know, giving, giving someone what you, you know, what, you know, something that they hadn't earned or paid for. But, but giving that to them. Actually, it, it, a better picture of grace would be like an older gentleman giving up his first-class seat for someone who's just despicable and unworthy and obnoxious and unpleasant and unlovely. That's kind of what Jesus did for us. He took our place and he gave us his and made us joint heirs with him. That means we, he's not d- dividing up his inheritance we are all sharing it together with him. And we didn't get ourselves there. We didn't earn it. There's a popular teaching out there that says grace is divine enablement. And, um, and though I understand the, the thought there, it's, it's really inaccurate to say that's what grace is. It's really what grace does. Um, one person wrote a book about grace, and he said, grace is like the oars of a boat. And there's a current pulling us toward hell. And the oars are what enable us to row harder against the current. And we, if we row hard enough, we can make our way all the way to heaven. And um, uh, the problem with defining grace as divine enablement is that it confuses what grace is with what grace does. Uh, and so let me talk about that for real quick. Number one, grace is unmerited favor or undeserved favor. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Like my friend um, uh, David in, in Benson, he has a bragging on Jesus. There's nothing about ourselves to brag on. Everything we have is him. We didn't deserve it. You can't get to heaven by rowing yourself there. And when you get to heaven, and when you see the nail scars in his wrist, you're not going to think, I'm a pretty good rower. <laughs> I'm an amazing rower. You know, if you think you can row yourself to heaven, then grace isn't amazing. You are. <laughs> but it's, it's his amazing grace, not our works. And so we need to live our lives, treat each other with that same kind of grace that we've received from God. Freely you've received, freely give. Um, And if you're going to err, this is just kind of a life principle here. If you're going to err, err on the side of grace. And that goes for your own household too. Sometimes we're the hardest on the people closest to us. We have a lot of grace for the, the dude across the street. But do you have grace for your own children when they mess up? Or when your wife burns the toast or whatever? 
You know, God gives us grace even in the stupid and even intentional sins. Have you, have you ever known something was wrong, but you did it anyway? Thank God for his grace, for his grace. Paul said to his son in the faith, for Timothy, he wrote, writes in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. Imagine that. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. The Apostle Paul calls himself the worst sinner, the worst sinner of all. Kind of like I'm the poster child. God saved me just to show you how far he will go. So grace is unmerited or undeserved. Number two, grace is unearned. Romans eleven six, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but it is of work. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. In other words, grace is free. It's a gift. If, if you add 1% to it, it's not a gift. I remember my father-in-law gave me a truck one time. A pick, old pickup truck. I, it, was a, it was a clunker, but I was grateful for it. And we got to the DMV to, um, to uh, change the title over. And, but something about him said, just give me a dollar for it. Just give me a dollar. Okay. But you know what? That do- because, of that, because I paid a dollar to him, I had to pay $300 <laughs> you know, for some fee or taxes. You know, which I had to borrow from him too. But you know, if he'd have just given it to me, that, that wouldn't have would have had to pay that. But it's something that we don't earn. You know, those of you who are employed, you know, at the whenever you get your paycheck, um, a lot of times they do direct deposit now. But if you're one of those got one of those jobs where they hand you a paycheck, and if the your employer says, "Hey, come here, I got a little gift for you," and then he hands you your paycheck that you worked like a dog for all week. And uh, you're not thinking, hey, you may not say it, but you're thinking, hey, pal, this is no gift. You know, I came in early. I stayed late. I worked hard for you. That's not grace. Now, if your boss comes to you and gives you your paycheck and then says, I appreciate you so much, I decided I'm going to give you my paycheck, too. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Anyone ever testified to that? Um, That's grace. It's like when the police pull, policeman pulls you over for speed, you're going 15 miles over the speed limit, and you start crying, and you just, I'm so sorry, and he, has, he feels sorry for you, and so he tears up the ticket. That's mercy. But if he reaches in his back pocket and pulls out a $100 bill, that's grace. You get in the picture, you're seeing what grace is. It's unearned. A minister was talking about his kids, you know, when they went to college, you know, he gave them one of his credit cards to cover incidentals, you know, emergencies, gas, and stuff like that. And one Christmas, he opened up a present from his daughter, and it was something that's very extravagant that he would have never bought for himself. And he was just amazed at this. And he said, how did you do this? 
She goes, easy, I just put it on your card. <laughs> he, it's not really a gift. That's not grace because he had to pay for it. But with Jesus, with Jesus, it's paid in full. Your debt, my debt, a debt we, couldn't, we owed but we couldn't pay, he paid. And not only that, he overpaid. He overpaid. That's grace. It's not deducted from your pay or tacked onto the end of your loan. He paid it in full. The Greek word that's translated grace in the New Testament is charis. Charis. Um, it's actually, uh, the proper pronunciation is haris, but we call it charis. Um, and it existed in culture long before the New Testament. And this is what it means. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a gift given to an inferior by a superior, but it involves three people. Everyone say three people. Three people. Okay. Now, there's another word in the Bible that talks about a gift to an inferior from a superior, and it only involves two people, and it's, it's you know, it means benevolence. That's different than, than charis, which is grace. Charis involves how many people? Three people. And here they are. Number one, the patron, the client, and the broker. The, patient, the patron, the client, and the broker. The patron, let's say, here's an example. He owns a shoe factory. The patron owns a shoe factory. And he knows of a family in need of new shoes. If he were to give the shoes to that family directly, that would be Yanoa or benevolence. But that's not the word that the Holy Spirit inspired to describe grace. He used the word charis. Now, here's an example of charis. The broker has great wealth. Uh, uh, so you got the patron, the client, the broker. A broker has great wealth. He decides to live among the poor in order to find out firsthand what their needs are. And he determines these people need shoes. And so he goes to the patron the one who owns the shoe factory, and says, these people I'm living with, they need shoes. But he doesn't ask the patron to donate the shoes. The broker says, I'll pay for them myself. So the broker pays the patron for the shoes and gives it. So there's three parties to the client. We're the client. That's a picture of grace. So grace is unmerited, grace is unearned, and number three, grace is unlimited. John 1.16 says, For of the fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. That literally, grace upon grace literally means over and over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And from his grace, we have received grace over and over and over again. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, that, that, now I know I'm giving you a little too much Greek for your, your appetite this morning, but there, these words are so important. Where it says grace about a much more, it's charis, charis, 
hyperperisinia, just hyper. So, and there's even books about there that are criticizing hyper grace preachers. I'm one of them, by the way. Because this says right here in the original language, grace is hyper. It's mega. It's huge. You can't, it's more than you think. We like to put limits. Only God knows the limit of his grace. And it's hyper Parissa, you know. You know, the Apostle Paul constantly had to fight others who were trying to tack on conditions to God's grace. He wrote, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 epistles. 13 epistles. Well, actually, he wrote more. We just have 13 of them in the New Testament. And, and on Wednesday nights, we're in First and Second Corinthians, and the, um, we actually wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We only have two. We have the second, and we have the fourth. But So there were other letters, but 13 of them made them into our New Testament epistles. Now, that's not the wife of an apostle, okay? That's a, that's a letter. And I want to go through this real quick, but just to show you how much grace factored into Paul's writing. Um, I'm going to go through all 13 epistles. We're going to read every one of them. <laughs> no, just like the beginning and the end of each chapter. I'm going to, and I'm going to just hit the main words here. Romans, the first epistle there. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. At the end of the book, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 1 Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father. At the end, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, at the end of the book, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Galatians, grace to you and peace from God our Father. At the end, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Ephesians, um, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, at the end, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Philippians, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Philippians 4.23, at the end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Colossians, still with me? Okay, good. Colossians, uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. At the end, the salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you all. 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. At the end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 2 Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Do you see a theme here? 1 Timothy, uh, to Timothy, our true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father. Uh, at the end, by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Second Timothy, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father. At the end, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Titus, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God. At the end, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And one more, the last one. Philemon, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And at the, at the end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You see, it, this life in Jesus starts with grace, 
and it's grace all the way through. By the way, grace is not a topic. Grace is a person. He is Jesus. So we're, that's how we get into the seat, the disciple's seat. And I was trying to think of a, a way that would describe this seat, tell you what this seat is. And I thought the best way would be to show you a little quick video. And I'm praying that it works um, because I don't think you'll ever forget this. Go ahead. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who taught the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a falling star?
Dick and Judy Hoyt had a son named Rick. And in the birthing process, Rick had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And it deprived him of oxygen for a long period of time. The doctors said that they should institutionalize him, but they decided not to. In 1973, he was 10 years old. And even back then, they had a, they came up with a computer where he could hit it with his forehead and spell out words. Turns out he's very intelligent. And, and then the computer would speak what he was saying. And, uh, and so he learned to make sentences. When he was 15 years old, he, he went to public school. Um, had special, when he was 15 years old, one of his classmates was in a terrible car accident. And they were doing fundraisers, trying to raise money to, uh, to, for the medical expenses and stuff. And he communicated to his father, Dick, who was a lieutenant colonel um, in the military, I want to run in the 5K race. He can't even get out of his own chair. <laughs> he has to be carried everywhere. And so his dad said, okay. And so the dad trained with a 100-pound pack of concrete pushing the wheelchair while his son was at work, at school. The day came, and after the 5K, Rick told his dad, that's the first time I've never felt handicapped. And so they ran again and again. And as of 2018, they had run uh, two, uh, 72 marathons and 257 triathlons. What you saw was a triathlon there. Now, in case you didn't know, that's 2.4 miles swimming. It's 112 miles cycling. It's 26.2 miles running. When Rick is in the water, his father, Dick, is pulling him in the raft. On the bicycle, he sits in a special chair while his father pedals. And Rick sits in the chair as his father pushes him while he's running. I am in the chair. You are in the chair. That's what grace is, lest anyone should boast. You know, the cool thing is, Dick says his son is the real athlete in the family. <laughs> he was never a runner before this. But it's true, you and I are in the chair. Every victory we experience it's because the Father has been pushing us and carrying us and pulling us. All he asks is that we get in the chair. As a matter of fact, we can't even put ourselves in the chair. All he asks is that we be willing to get in the chair. That's grace. He's been pushing us ever since pulling us ever since, carrying us ever since. That's what grace is. It's a powerful thing because he's a powerful person. It's unmerited, it's unearned, and it's unlimited. That's the, the chair of the disciple. Lest we think we rode ourselves there. <laughs> 
<laughs> in our own strength. And so it's, it's, it's being willing. Are you willing today to let God take you out into the deep, to take you places you could not go yourself? Are you willing to say, Lord, here I am. I don't know how to get myself there, but if you'll pick me up and if you'll place me in the chair, I'll go wherever you say. I'll go wherever you lead me. And the cool thing is, he doesn't say, here, go and report back to me. He pushes us all the way. He carries us. And then I love, my favorite part, I get kind of choked up when I see that video, is when they cross the finish line. And little Rick, he's just waving his arms. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That's grace. That's the disciples' chair. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you. Though we can't, words fail us, but thank you for your amazing grace that not only saved us, it saves us, it carries us. Your grace puts us in the chair and 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 carries us through this life all the way across the finish line. We can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine on a, in an earthly sense a father that would love his son so much that would put himself through that. But how much more did you love us that you sent your only son to live among us, to be our broker, to see our broken souls, our broken lives, and to pay to have us made new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How could anyone turn away how could anyone turn back from a love like that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If there's, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, how there's a, God will take us just as he took the disciples into Samaria, a place they tried to avoid. How God takes us, you know, you know, he'll often take us right to the place that we've been avoiding, that we don't want to go to. But if you're willing today to say, Jesus, I'll go there. Take me there. Would you just slip up your hand? My hand's up or wherever that is. Lord, whatever it is, whatever I've been holding out, whatever I've been avoiding, Lord, I yield to you. I surrender that to you. Take it, Lord. Take me. I give my all to you. Hallelujah. All to Jesus 
I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. And I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing that again. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, take me. Put me in the chair. I'm willing wherever you say. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love you. Have a great week.